0: Dear listeners, this is a content warning for a vague description of sexual assault. If you would like to skip that portion or need a keyword for when that content will begin, the phrase is school uniform. After that phrase, please skip ahead by 45 seconds if you'd like to skip it. Dear listeners, we've come to the point in the story where my diaries are far too intimate to reveal. There are names, places, descriptions. People would recognize themselves. But also there are some things we should save for ourselves. And also, there are some things I saved for myself because they were just too intimate to write down. I've been thinking of how to pose this episode because our two topics sound so dissimilar and yet, in my mind, they overlap. I'll start by saying I find it interesting that our brains try to protect us even though the brain is us. Sometimes we need distractions or to formulate behaviors to help us cope or process. As I look back on my diaries, I see mentions of a person who is not entirely real, yet not completely imaginary. I see a daylight haunting floating through my life. My biggest secret is that I experienced for years something I call Daylight Hauntings. When I think of the who, what, when, where, why, and how, the answers are all there. But as I look back, I wonder if this phenomenon wasn't just my brain protecting me. Not really a protection from evil or sadness, but protection in the same way that the compass has shielded me all these years. A bit of guidance, a bit of intuition, a bit of unexplainable comfort. So this secret... Within the confines of this secret, I will break the bounds of reality. The curse may have just been a manifestation of bad luck, but these daylight hauntings... They break a different barrier. I mentioned my classmate who died, how he visited me in my dreams, but that was a manifestation of grief and guilt within my subconscious. In the story I published when I was 13... I had two love interests. If one of them, the one who died, faded into a ghost that haunted my dreams, then the living one morphed into a shadow that haunted my waking life, a daylight haunting. I've always believed in ghosts. I'm not afraid of ghosts, but I do respect the unseen. Man has a sick fascination with rationalizing what he cannot understand, but I find great comfort in the unknown. I have always sensed otherness. I have a fascination with that veil between the living and non living. I love mystery. I love that there are things we can never know concretely but have some understanding of immaterially. But anyway, this living ghost, this shadow yes, it could have all been in my mind, but things started to happen in my sophomore year. Manual doors would open for me, trash can lids would flip up when I approached. Alarms would go off without being set. Electronics would randomly be unplugged. Furniture would move. Dirty clothes would be placed in baskets. Things that I forgot at home would be in my backpack. I chalk them up to my weird memory lapses. Maybe I just forgot I did all those things. And the doors and trash cans? Maybe the doors were broken or were spring-loaded. I have stories upon stories, but I'll settle on one. The first time that I realized this was, for lack of a better word, real, I had gone to a weeknight event at my friend's church. My parents were loath to let me go, but it was intended to just be a fun movie night with pizza and sandwiches, then a performance from a local band. I rode the bus home with my friend and we got to the church around 4 in the evening. I was supposed to call my parents at 8 so that they could pick me up by 8.30. I lost track of time. The movie ended and my friend and I sipped on juice boxes in the church pews. My flip phone was deep in my backpack with several missed calls. My friend sat on my right, closest to the aisle. She angled her body further to the right, bending to look down the aisle to see the musician engaging with the audience. I sipped my juice box, looking at the graphics on the big screen. My friend turned and asked me to stop shoving her. I replied that I wasn't. She rolled her eyes, went back to looking at the aisle. She turned again and asked me to stop. I replied that I wasn't. She frowned, but dismissed it again. I slid to the left, reaching for a trash bin. My friend turned with a sharp look on her face and stared at the empty space between us. So it wasn't you? No, it wasn't. What was that? a look of shock on her face. Was it? I shrugged. Maybe it was. She flinched again. I feel like you're supposed to leave, like right now. She got up. I followed wordlessly down the aisle, backpack in tow. She pulled her phone out of her pocket. My parents had called her too, several times, but her phone was on silent. She took my arm and pulled me into the foyer, looking out the window into the car park. I called my parents. They were frantic, angry, and pulling up into the driveway of the church at that exact moment. My friend looked at me, at her phone, at where she'd been shoved. She pulled down her jacket to look at the skin underneath the sleeve of her t-shirt. And there, bright red on her pale skin, was a handprint. I left without a word. I'm not saying I'm like the little girl from the book and film, Matilda, where my brain just started moving objects. I'm saying that maybe somehow I looked behind the curtain, saw my guardian angels or ancestors moving invisible strings. Maybe my eyes got a little shined to them, like Riddick, and I could feel things others could not. I should clarify that I never saw this living ghost. But I and others felt its presence on more than one occasion. There are things which we do not understand in this world, and I find comfort in that. I've since lost this... this sense, but I think it's still around. One could devote themselves to studying the brain and psychology and behavior and neurology for years, and yet, never truly know. But still, even in my lack of understanding of the brain, I marvel at how it protects us while it is us. Sometimes I wish that I could watch my life from the view of a stranger, or from the perspective of someone who only knows bits and pieces. It's terrifying and exhilarating to know that you'll never know another human being fully. That they've had lives before you. And the gaps where you're apart are filled with other things. Terrifying because, who are they? Exhilarating because, who are they? It's also funny how the same question can be applied to one's own self. Who am I? It's like the rush you get when you put on an outfit you wouldn't normally choose, or the comfort you feel when you slip into familiar fabric. Is this me? Why do I like this? What is personality? What is memory? My dear listeners, memory is a funny, tricky thing. I still don't understand why some moments feel tattooed on your brain, painful and permanent, and others are just like leaves falling to the ground, abundant and ubiquitous. The first time I noticed my memory gaps was in my freshman year of high school. I woke up on my living room couch just before sunset with no recollection of how I got there and a skull-splitting migraine. The last thing I remembered doing was eating lunch in the cafeteria. It freaked me out. I also cannot emphasize how terrifying it was to realize upon graduation how much of my memory from middle school to the end of high school is exactly like that experience. It makes sense, I suppose. You don't remember every single time you've ever brushed your teeth, but you know you've done some sort of dental hygiene regimen. School was like that for me. If I, as a sophomore, was asked to recount the last month, I wouldn't be able to with accuracy because of those gaps, because of living in a constant haze of migraine or muscle spasms or period pain or whatever pain. But thank god that so much of school is routine. Now I remember a lot of other things. Languages, books, movies, trivia, people, habits. I don't have a photographic memory but things stick in my brain more often than not. It's just my own life I had a hard time remembering and That's why I took to writing diaries and passing notes in class. Being a teenager is stupid hard. I won't dwell on it, but it's hard because of all the expectations, people guiding you in directions, being vulnerable to predators, trying to find clothes that fit, the pressure to take the right steps. Because let's be honest, in the way that we've set up our society, if you want to go to college, you gotta start on that when you're around 14 or 15. And at 14 or 15, you'll realize that you may be ill-prepared for that because of stuff that happened when you were 10 or 11. And at 10 or 11, you'll realize you may or may not be able to keep up in classes and with social expectations because of stuff from when you were 4 or 5. And let's be honest, when you're 4 or 5, you had all the potential in the world and it was the guidance that you received that steered you in the direction of the destination you're at now, listening to this. I think everyone's lives from birth to around 22 are just really hazy. Because you're a child formulating your life, the way memory is compiled it has to have something to attach to in order to make an association. Our minds are like maps or collages. There's no definitive beginning or end and everything circles back on itself. For me, my memories are stuck to environment. The building I was in, the saturation of color, the way the light hit, the noises in the room. Which is why I love architecture and why I love filmmaking. It's why sometimes I could swear I've dreamed things that, come to find out, are memories. I also think the brain has ways of protecting you or ways of helping you to process events. Whether it's via dreams or by omitting things. Like the migraine blackouts, for instance, I was in a lot of pain. Maybe it's better that I didn't remember what wasn't necessary. But every so often, something triggers my memory. Every so often I see something and the world goes quiet around me and I just feel the pounding of my heart. And I dissociate a bit, see the world through a plastic film. And I realize that that was not a dream, it was a memory. And processing it becomes the panic. It's wild how you can have something buried that deep, something that is so important, but it's filed improperly in your brain under dreams instead of memories. And it's only when something triggers it that you now recategorize it properly. In the middle of quarantine, I saw a picture of myself, age three or four, in a school uniform and everything came flooding back. Me walking into the classroom, a hand on the small of my back, my little child back, I remember the building, I remember the masonry, I remember the vaulted ceilings, I remember the classroom, I remember the shelves, I remember the carpet, I remember the lighting, I remember the cubbies, I remember the pencils. I remember how I was alone in this room, so small, except there was a hand on the small of my back, my Pocahontas underwear sliding off me, holding the cloth in my mouth, then my hand. I remember how the light was hitting from this light bulb with no shade. I hand pulled the string. And then I remember nothing. I thought all of that was a dream. A sick dream from my childhood. Maybe it was. But I usually dream of riding tigers through bamboo forests or walking through stargates or of Afro futuristic urbanist landscapes where I fly a jet through the skies. I do not dream of real things. I do not, usually, dream of pain. I think childhood memories are like alcohol-infused memories. They're soft, hazy, full of emotion. When you recall them, they're either the highest of highs or the lowest of lows. Like I said, I think the mind is fascinating in that it protects us while it is us. I'm not necessarily upset about this particular recall, it's just jarring to know that there are pieces of yourself that are unknown to you, and yet they happen such a long way from now. Not like time, but even distance. Maybe the memories are locked in my head somewhere, waiting for a photograph or a conversation to jog my memory. It feels like another person lived these memories. Because if I am a ship, that's the part of the charted path that faded from my knowledge, and I am so very far from that point. It makes you wonder just how much of that instance impacts me now. Early December 2014 Dear listeners, This is a memory that I've never divulged on paper because it was always something I was going to remember. Part of me kept the memories of the magnet inside my brain as a means of sanctifying them, of keeping some sweetness just for myself. I think by not saying these things, it feeds into me doubting the memories. But this particular memory, I have a definitive record of. We were all piled in our friend's SUV. It was huge. Eight seats. Such a nice guy to drive all 10, 11, 12 of us to the club. We reassured him he could park at the first available spot, that we were more than okay hoofing it to our destination if we had to. I sat back in my seat and my friend beckoned to me. We giggled and reapplied our red lipstick. I could see him, that magnet, smiling from the third row. Then someone called out, Turn this up. The driver turned up the song. We all stayed quiet as the chorus swelled and the artist belted out You're gone, and I've got to stay high all the time to keep you off my mind. And it struck me. I glanced at him, then faced forward. And I whispered, Oh, fuck, this is gonna hurt. It was one of those moments that I knew. I knew it was important. I had to spend as long as possible in this moment. Be the last person to go home. The world bent in a little, orange lights on the pavement in the cold, almost solstice night, and yeah, I knew. I was the last one to hop out the SUV when we parked, but when I got out, his hand was outstretched, waiting for mine. A ten-minute walk to the club, where we'd meet up with the others. He held my hand and said, "'Your hands are always so cold. I need you to start wearing warmer coats. That's why we swapped coats. I don't want you to be cold.' I didn't speak, I let him ramble. I always let him ramble. This is like the last time we're gonna party like this and then when the semester's over, I'll be leaving. Fuck, fuck, if I could do it over. Just let him ramble. You know I'll miss you the most. This semester has been, God, there's just no one like you. Never ever met anybody like you. I just let him go on and on. I didn't say a word. You need to promise that you'll stop stop doing that dumb shit where you just do things that are expected of you. You always just do things you think people are going to like. I bit my lip. Like, you take care of so many people, like all of us. But who takes care of you? Like, who is taking care of you? He always talked too damn much at night, drunk or not. We passed a storefront with the door propped open by a boombox. A rush of hot air billowed out, and we could hear the music from the speakers. It just said over and over, caught in a bad romance, caught in a bad romance. Like the CD was skipping in the player. I find it funny that the walking curse was behind us, taking pictures and recording the whole time. So I know this memory happened. I have evidence. Searching for connecting. Begin. Now is the point to be truthful about the magnet about the duality he displayed. Objectively, at the moment in time that I knew him, he was not as wonderful as the diaries say. There are footnotes, key words, and sticky notes within the diaries, interjected by me at later times, that help adjust the lens. Fuse his two sides together and one can see how the duality was confusing, it was like a generous, playful person encasing a prejudiced, weak man encasing a tender, sweet child. The Magnet was a narcissist, a person who was running from something, a person who had no regard for others around him. But this story isn't about the Magnet, and I'm not telling you this to expand on him. I'm telling you because all red flags look normal when you're wearing rose-colored glasses. I think the pandemic allowed us all to stand back, remove the rose-colored glasses and rest, then return to look at the world with fresh eyes. We peeled back the layers and decided what we truly need. I have a few answers for what I truly need. I don't think we realize that sometimes we're hurting people. We're so focused on our own internal struggles that we forget that the fabric of our lives, our existence as humans, is based upon our interactions with others. We're so focused on healing, understanding, or running from our internal wounds that we reach for other people and think of them as external medicine. I understood that early. As a person who was bullied throughout grade school, I'm cognizant of the callousness with which we sometimes interact with others. We use people to run from ourselves a lot. I was never comfortable with that. I don't understand why people are afraid to just be honest, or to just put a name to something that's occurring. But I think, dear listeners... I'm starting to understand why everyone is so afraid to speak. End. Closing. Shutting down.